chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. New Testament letter, small little book, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Last week we started Philippians, we went through the first 11 verses, today we'll pick up at verse 12, wanting to walk through the letter. Several years ago here in our church, we had a wonderful privilege to have University of Louisville student to be a member of our church was also a part of the basketball team. It was awesome. It was kind of cool. He was about 6'9". You could recognize him no matter what. And one Sunday night, he came to Sunday evening service, and it was planned for him to share his testimony. I wanted to know how he had become a believer. Was he raised in the faith? You know, that, that sort of a thing. How did he become a believer? And he was a big-time recruit and had a lot of potential Certainly was on the path to go to the pros, to be an NBA player. But he stood up here that Sunday night right here at the, the podium down on the floor at a Sunday evening service and said, in my second year, I, I got injured so badly. And I am so thankful that that happened. It derailed my college career. It certainly hindered my dreams of going pro. But it taught me that basketball wasn't everything. And when I hit the lowest of low of recognizing that basketball wasn't everything, I found Jesus who is everything. He stood right here and he said that. He's since moved on, lives in California now and is doing lots of things. He's married and got several children. He leads them to follow Christ. He's a man of God and I'm thankful for him. I still have a friendship with him. But I will never forget a big time athlete saying to us, that a major career-altering injury is the best thing that ever happened to him because through that, he found Christ. Paul's message in Philippians chapter 1 today that our circumstances are used by God to promote the gospel. Our circumstances are used by God to advance the gospel. Read with me, if you will, Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. What a man. What a testimony. What a letter to us that we have in the letter of Philippians written by the Apostle Paul from, from prison to the church. And now we sit here some years later reaping the benefit of being a church, eager to know what it means to live and follow God faithfully according to his word. And today we see him speaking through 
the circumstances. I got two points today. Number one is God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. This is true, and Christians are to believe it. He writes a letter to them, one in which he is very thankful for them, what I preached on last week. He is thankful for the gospel's work in the past. He is thankful for the gospel's work in the present. He is thankful for the gospel's work in the future of that church. Those were my three points last week. But then he wants them to understand something. He says, I want you to know, you got to get this. Hey, hear me out, he says. Here's one of the reasons why I'm writing to you. Yes, I am in prison, but it is not hurting the cause. Yes, I am in prison, but it is not stopping the process. Yes, I am in prison, and God is using it for his glory. He writes to them. I want you to know, brothers, brothers and sisters, that's what that word means there, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Really? Is this true? Can we believe that way? Can we really think that this unfortunate thing is being used by God in a good way? Yeah, we can. The Bible teaches this through and through. I know believers wrestle with it all the time, but the Bible teaches it through and through. It is very consistent. We see God working good out of situations. Now, what I want to point out here is that Paul is saying that he is in prison because of Christ. Paul is not in prison because he has committed a crime. Paul is in prison because he is preaching the gospel and they don't want him to preach the gospel. He is telling people about Jesus and they are telling him that he cannot be telling people about Jesus. That's why he's in prison. So his imprisonment is for Christ. Right now, in the United States of America, you don't go to prison for preaching Christ. So it's a little bit different here, okay? But in his setting, he is in prison for Christ. Please hear me right now, okay? As a little side note, footnote on the sermon we do not rejoice at evil. We do not rejoice at bad. We do not believe in the sovereignty of God so that you can go do dumb and foolish, wrong, sinful things and say, oh, God will, God will make good out of it. We don't talk that way. We don't believe that way. We don't think that way. That's not what we're saying here. Christians do not call bad good. But we can absolutely say that God works good out of bad. There's a difference. You follow me? Do not get caught living foolishly, acting wrongly, living in disobedience or defiance, right? Wrong and ugly and sinful and mean and whatever else, and then say, well, I believe in the sovereignty of God and he'll work good out of it. No, that's not us and that's not what we're saying. Paul is in prison, which many of us would say is an unfortunate thing, Right? He didn't sign up to go to prison. It's not that he was wanting to go to prison. That wasn't his goal or his aim, but he has found himself there. He does right with chains around his feet. He often mentions that he has chains. He often mentions that he's cold. He often mentions that he's by candlelight. Right, So it is not the best situation. But he absolutely believes that God is using it to advance the gospel. The very purpose for what God had called him to do is still happening. God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. You have to believe that. Which means when circumstantial things happen in your lives, which are out of your control, which you have not done anything wrong to bring about, you must believe. 
You must look to the bigness of God. You must understand that he's your father in heaven. You must trust his plan and and see that he can be working good out of it. We are not those people who only believe God if he makes our lives good. That's not us. We are not those people who only believe God if he makes our lives good. That is not us. We understand that sometimes things can go the way we did not want them to. That happens sometimes. God's plans are different from our plans, he teaches us. And when God's ultimate good, glorious plan is something that we may not think was the best way to do it, we are able to believe God is using this for his glory. God is using this to advance the gospel. God, while this may not be the spot that I had desired, God has me in this spot for his purpose. We believe that. We have a man sitting in prison writing to the church saying, I want y'all to know this. What has happened to me is really serving to advance the gospel. And we hear people say a lot, why is this happening to me? This should not be happening to me. I shouldn't be in this position, right? We hear people say that a lot. Folks, can you hear today? That it may be happening to you because that's what God wants to happen to you to teach you something and to show somebody else something. That is true. That is true. Have to believe this. We see him saying it here. But this is consistent with what the whole Bible is. You see lots of scenarios happening in the history of the world and in the Bible where we're thinking, why? And then we see God work in that situation to bring good. The first one that comes to mind is Joseph in Genesis. He's the youngest of the 12 brothers, and it's very unfortunate that he is the dad's favorite. He gets the coat of many colors. He has these dreams that God is going to bless him. The brothers hate him. They sell him off. He goes down to Egypt. It sounds awful. They tell dad that he's died. He's separated from everything. It sounds terrible. The situation in Egypt goes up and then down and up and then down. He does rise to the top. He finds himself in prison. He's falsely accused. It's an ugly story. And there were people all along the way who would be saying, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Joseph probably said, why is this happening, right? People are saying, why is this happening? This should not be happening. The dad was saying, why is this happening? And yet, later in the story, we hear Joseph say to his brothers and to us, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I hope you know that phrase. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph seems to be able to believe that's not the way I had designed my life to go, for all of my brothers to go against me, hate me, sell me, end up in Egypt and all of that. But God had a plan, and I've trusted in God, and God has shown that his plan brought about his purposes. And if you read the Bible, you read the book of Genesis with any just regular view of that, you see that what is happening to Joseph, which many would consider a bad thing, God is using for good. And so what we understand is when things are happening to us that we don't like, as long as we're not the one in the wrong, we can be saying to ourselves, God is using this for good. What about the story of Job? You know the story of Job. 
Job had a family. Job had a job. Job had everything, right? He had a wife and kids and all of that. And all of it went south, bad, down. He lost all of it. All of his property was killed. All of his family was killed. And then ultimately, he is sick as can be. His life went way wrong. And nobody could figure it out. And the answer to why is this happening to me was because God was teaching the devil that God can keep his people faithful to him despite any circumstance. God was in a little uh, situation with the devil, uh, a tangle with the devil, where God wanted to demonstrate to the devil that he can keep people faithful to God despite their circumstances, and he did it with Job. The book begins with Job trusting in God. The book ends with Job trusting in God. We see him staggering through it like all do when they suffer. We see him staggering through it, but God keeps Job focused on God. What a glorious story. And all along, when everybody's asking, why is this happening, you know, if you've read it, that God is the one causing this to happen so that the devil will be put in his place. It's an awesome story. It really is. There's a lot of suffering there, but it's an amazing story. We can understand that God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. See, think about this with Paul. Last week, I showed you that when you go back to the book of Acts, You see Paul traveling to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, where he's going there, and we see the first converts, we see the believers, and we see him starting the church. You remember that. If you were here, you remember that. The book of Acts tells us how Paul came into a relationship with these people, the church at Philippi, how he met them, how he preached to them, how some didn't believe, how some did believe, how he started a church, a small little church, right? And you and I know, listen to this, you and I know that Paul went as a missionary to advance the gospel, right? We know that. We know that's why he traveled there. He traveled there so he could preach, and he traveled there so people would believe, right? And you and I know that he started that church once he had a couple believers. He started that church in Philippi right here so that they would advance the gospel, so that they would be strong enough where he could leave, which he did, and that church could stand on its own, And then they would keep advancing the gospel, right? Nobody denies any of that. That's why he went. That's why he started the church. That's why he left, right? And now in his imprisonment, the same thing is happening. So if your goal was to advance the gospel, and in your circumstances the gospel's advancing, you are thankful for your circumstances. Does everybody follow that? If your goal was Jesus, and in your unfortunate circumstances, Jesus is honored and glorified and proclaimed and advanced, then you can be thankful for them circumstances. Now, what this teaches us is that our circumstances are like the magnifying glass to what our goal really is. Amen? What this teaches us is that you and I are exposed when our circumstances aren't what we want them to be, because then we really see if we're focused then we really see if Jesus is the answer. Then we really see if the gospel is really what we were advancing. If you're trying to advance you and you want God to help you do it, and when God advances you, you give him the glory, that's not the same thing as this. Paul's not able to advance Paul when he's all chained up. He's not on TV with a big salary. He doesn't have a big church. But if your desire is to advance advance the gospel... 
God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. A few years ago, we had a man here started coming to church a little bit more. He grew up in this church. He hadn't been involved in church so much. And he got up into his 70s and to his 80s and he started coming around. Got involved with men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. Started getting the word into him. Started growing in the word. And to be quite honest, his life changed. He got focused on Jesus. There would be many times on a Wednesday or a Wednesday night where up into his 70s, maybe in his 80s, I'm not exactly sure, he would raise his hand and say, I'm dying of cancer. But I want y'all to know that cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was Mr. Ray Harris who died just a few years ago. His wife, Anna, sits here this morning. I'll never forget him saying that. It shakes me to even think about it. He wasn't living his life focused on God. He was a great guy. By all accounts, super guy. Everybody in town knew him, loved him. Hard-working man, but not focused on God. And God rattled him when he ended up sick with cancer. And God used those circumstances to cause him to fully connect to God. It was awesome to see it. It reminds me that God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. It went long after that, that Ray, who his entire life spoke with a stutter, right, Ms. Anna? Entire life spoke with a stutter, wasn't confident enough to pray in a group because of how much he stuttered. Ray would come here and he'd say, my neighbor doesn't know Jesus. And often out in the yard, We'll start talking about Jesus. Please pray for him because we're having conversations. Here's what he says and here's what I'm saying to him. Folks, not only did we see him find an anchor through the suffering of cancer, but we saw a man find an anchor through the suffering of cancer, but also who found what life's all about, God and his mercy and forgiveness in Christ, and then went to use his life, even with circumstances that caused people to shy away from talking to people about Jesus, like they've been neighbors for a really long time, like he's got a stutter and so he doesn't have confidence, right? Those types of circumstances, God still used to advance the gospel as Mr. Ray Harris, suffering with a declining health, with ultimately it took his life telling people about the hope he had found in Christ. And I'm not exaggerating the story. I could tell it more accurately and it'd be even better than that. God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Guys, that's true. I don't know what you're going through and I don't know what we're going to be going through in the future. All of our lives are different and we're all gonna come into different things, but I know this, that if God brings us to it, then we can trust him to use what we're in for his glory. Use what we're in to point people to Jesus. Use whatever we're going through to trust him, to honor him, to advance the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel, but number two, God uses our faithfulness to God in those circumstances to build confidence in others. 
This is awesome. Listen again. God uses our faithfulness to God in those circumstances to build confidence in others. Look what he says, verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Everybody knew that he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a criminal. He's not in prison because he murdered or because he stole or something like that. He's in prison because he's faithful to Jesus. He's in prison because he preaches this message. He's in prison because he used to be a leader of the Jews. He used to be one of those that wore the fancy gowns and had the fancy haircuts. He used to be very religious. He looked like a religious person. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the Pharisees. And in in his adult life, he met Christ. His life did a complete 180. He turned around. He went now from being like the the religious top to being the humble lowly. That's what happened to Paul. And as everybody observed the life change that happened in Paul, he just kept saying, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. He's forgiven me of my sins. He's given me life. He's changed my heart, right? He kept telling everybody that it was about Jesus. And because of this, they put him in prison. And everybody knew that's why he was in prison. There was no mistaking that. And that's what he's telling them there. Verse 14. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. You know, helping people become confident is is, is a big issue we have today, right? Don't you want your kids to be confident? Don't you want your coworkers to be confident, right? Don't you want your family members to be confident, right? What's up with all this lack of confidence that we have, right? Don't you want to talk to people about Jesus? Yes, why don't you? I don't know, just don't have any confidence. I'm not good at it, don't know what I'd say. What if they oppose, what if they push back? We want people to be confident, right? I can't tell you how many times I've seen a ball player who knows how to do what he's supposed to be able to do, but he just didn't have the confidence to get out there and do it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked, listen to me, I've talked to dads. They're wanting to lead their families in some heavy conversations or in some prayer. but They just don't have the confidence to do it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with teenage girls or college girls who are wanting a godly, upright, pure relationship, but they don't have the, God, they don't have the confidence to be stronger than the guy who doesn't. Confidence is lacking. It is. And how do we get confidence in people? How do you create confidence in people? Every once in a while, you see some guy walking around with swag, and you're like, that dude's confident. Where's that come from? Well, it depends on what he's confident in to know where it comes from. But the Bible says right here, we're not talking sports or family. We're talking Jesus right here. We're talking church. And the Bible says right here that the church gets confidence through seeing Paul. The way Paul handles this situation, the way Paul is in his circumstances, gives confidence to the brothers. That is outstanding. That is outstanding. Several years ago, Brian Kaiser, a friend of ours, missionary we pray for, uh, has a bunch of kids, was here at church, and I, I only had like two kids at the time. And I got to spend some time with him. I was watching how he parented. I watched his kids say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. I watched his kids say, please, and thank you. I watched his kids do what he told them to do. And man, it gave me confidence that parenting can go well. It gave me confidence that there can be some joys in parenting. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. All of the Christians are recognizing this guy is in prison because of Christ. Let's see if he pouts. Let's see if he whines. Let's see if he complains. Let's see how he handles it, right? And he's rejoicing. You know the story of the Philippian jailer, right? Where at midnight they're singing and praising God in jail. Everybody knows about that. 
In his circumstances, the way he handles it, his faithfulness to God in those circumstances, build confidence in other people. Can you consider here today that whatever situation you're in right now, that people around you are observing how you are to God in that situation? And it's either a confidence builder or a confidence crusher. Paul is suffering in prison and it's given confidence to all the believers. You know why? Because he's trusting in the Lord in those circumstances. God uses our faithfulness to God in those circumstances to build confidence in others. One of the things that I've realized here recently is that I have a lot of books, a lot of books. I recently had to clean out all of the books out of my office, and there are a lot. I either need more bookshelves or less books. You know what my favorite book is of all time? The Pilgrim's Progress. I've read it a couple times. I've read it with my children multiple times. I love this book. It's an allegory about the Christian life. It was written in 1678. It was written over 300 years ago. It has been translated in over 200 languages. It has never ever in nearly 350 years been out of print. It has been in print continuously since it was written. It is the most popular book ever printed and read in the history of the world apart from the Bible. It is that good. People have always loved this book. Believers have always loved this book. It is outstanding. Well, guess what? John Bunyan, who wrote it, lived in England in the 1600s. And the Church of England said... If there are ever, ever, ever gatherings, religious gatherings, that have five or more people, that is against the law and you will be punished. If there are ever, ever, ever gatherings of people that are more than five and it is not uh, uh, approved by the Church of England, that is against the law and you will be arrested. John, John Bunyan had come to know Christ. He was a preacher. And even though the state said that you were not allowed to have church meetings, he had church meetings, and he preached the gospel. John Bunyan had children, and he had a wife. He had some handicapped children. They were poor. John Bunyan did not stop meeting. He kept preaching the gospel. They threw him in jail. He stayed in the Bedfordshire County Prison for 12 years. They would go to him often, and they would say, if you will promise us to not preach the gospel, we'll let you out. He said, I cannot promise you that. I will be preaching the gospel. While he was in prison, he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. While he was in prison, he wrote that book, which is now, in 2020, my favorite book. Many of you all have read that book, and so many millions of people around the world have read that book and been strengthened by it. You know how that came about? Through John Bunyan. Suffering in prison. What has happened to him has served to advance the gospel. 
what has happened to Paul has served to advance the gospel. Number one, God uses our circumstances to advance the gospel. Number two, God uses our faithfulness to God in those circumstances to build confidence in others. You and I must realize that the way we handle things impacts the way others see the truth. The way we handle things impacts the way others process the truth. I heard a story several years ago of a big, big preacher in California who was making really, really good money. And all of a sudden one year, they came to him and they said, hey, we're about to give you a $20,000 raise. He was already making really good money. And they said, we're going to give you a $20,000 raise. And he took it and went home and he came back and he came back to the church and he said, I don't want this. I don't need it. There's better ways that it can be used. It's probably going to be more of a temptation to me. I, I don't need it. Here was their answer. We know you don't need it. We have no better example than you of trying to figure out what we do when we get some extra money. So we're going to give you this money, and we're going to all be watching to see what you do with it. Isn't that how Christianity works? Isn't there a real sense in which in our marriages we're looking at other marriages? In our parenting, we're looking at other parenting. In our laziness, we're looking at other people, right? In our spending, we're looking at other people. In our worship, we're looking at other people, right? In our sadness, in our suffering, we're looking at other people. In our hospitals, stays, we're looking at other people. We're looking around to see how other believers are handling the circumstances that they're living in, right? We're, we're, we're trying to see, can it really happen that believers get confidence through those who are going through it? And the answer is yes. Paul writes to the church in Philippi that I want you to know what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Here's what he means by their confidence. Look what he says at the end of verse 14. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what? They used to be afraid. Well, kind of like how we're afraid right now. What's going to happen if they start putting us in prison? What's going to happen if a law comes out that says me doing what I do or you doing what you do or us doing this will send us to prison? Next thing you know, we're scared, right? That's what Paul's saying. They were scared. But once they found out that, hey, people go to prison, they still love Jesus. People go to prison and the message still advanced. People go to prison and it doesn't stop what God's doing. Now we're not scared of that anymore. We used to think that going to prison would be the worst thing ever. And Paul's like, ain't that bad. Jesus is still Lord. The gospel's still advancing. Lives are still being changed. Because you know what the book of Acts tells us? They'd send a guard into Paul, and Paul would tell them about Jesus. His shift would be over. He'd leave. They'd send another guard in to, to watch Paul. Paul would talk to him about Jesus. His shift would be over. They'd send another guard in to, to watch Paul while he's in chains. He'd talk to him about Jesus. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't a bitter prisoner. He was talking to them about the gospel, and the message was advancing, and everybody was hearing this. How Paul was in his circumstances gave confidence to the other believers. Folks, it's awesome to be a part of a church where you know people and you love people. We get to watch people. We got some people in our church right now that are really, really suffering. We got some people in our church right now that this week got bad news from the doctor. We got some people in our church right now that are having a really, really hard time. And you know what we're doing? We're all looking to see how they're going to handle it. We're looking to see if they'll lean on us. They're looking to see if they'll let us pray for them. We're looking to see if they'll hold tight to Jesus. We're looking to see if they believe what the scriptures say. When we start hearing this, we have to ask ourselves, 
Sounds awesome. But is it real? Is that genuine? How's that possible? I know it's what we're thinking. It's what I'm thinking. Sounds cool. Philippians 1, yeah, he's in prison. It's all good. Yeah, people are getting caught. Really? Here's why, folks. I've been thinking about this and thinking about this. Here's why. Because even in our circumstances, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy. Whatever you're going through, he is enough. He is the answer. He loves you more than anybody will ever love you. He's got you and nobody can keep him from having you. His grip is tighter than anybody else's grip. If you are in him, you are locked in. You are safe in love for all eternity. He is worth it. He died on the cross for your sins. He took the punishment from God for you. He took the judgment of God in your place. He is worth it. And anybody who turns to him and asks for forgiveness is welcomed into his family, receives Christ, gets a clear conscience, gets forgiveness, gets purity of heart, gets a relationship with God Almighty. He is worth it. And when you come to know that Christ is worth it, You will understand him in all your circumstances. You won't understand your circumstances sometimes, but you'll understand him in your circumstances. You'll understand he loves me. You understand he's my father. You understand he's my father in heaven. You understand he takes care of me. You understand that he says that not one hair falls out apart from him letting it. Not one. You'll understand that if those birds keep being fed, you will. you understand if those flowers keep being clothed, then you will. you understand how much he loves you. And if he loves you, then your circumstances can be endured. Jesus is so worth it. Now, I got to admit, at home, I'm usually kind of hard to deal with for Val and kind of grumpy and I usually don't make things better than I do, but every once in a while I get in a good mood and I try to improve things. She asked me to do something. Can I, you know, fix the kid a bowl of cereal or something like that? And I try to get real confident. Like, I got this. I got this. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, I, I, I can do this. I, I help you out, Val. Don't I help you out a lot? And I'll try to really create a mood in our home of, I'm a helper. I'm helping her with all of this. And when I ever get to doing that, here's what I say. Because you're worth it, Val. You're so worth it. I'll go fix that bowl of cereal today and help you out in such a huge way because you're worth it, Val. You're worth, I'll do anything for you, Val. I will do anything in the world for you. You are worth it, Val. And she knows that it's not that hard what she's asked me to do, so it comes across as a joke, Right? And although I struggle with it, you guys know this, she is worth it. She's worth it for me to do whatever it takes to love my family. She is. You also know that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth us looking to him, trusting him, believing him through everything. He is worthy. Andrew Crawford does a great job leading us in music and one of the songs that we just sang said, worthy, worthy, worthy. Didn't we just sing that? He's worthy. 
And so when you read about a man who is imprisoned for the wrong reasons, writing a letter to the church saying, hey, this is just accomplishing what I was wanting. The gospel's advancing. And then you hear him say to the church, this is giving confidence to all the other believers. You think, is that real life? Is anybody really like that? Then you remember Jesus. You think, yes. This passage here ends with Paul talking about there are a lot of differences out there and why people are preaching and some people resent Paul and there are people that go against him. But Paul says as long as they are preaching the truth in that he rejoices because what ultimately matters to Paul is Christ. Verse 18 says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. If it's about Jesus, if it's about Christ, prison or no prison, right? Success or no success, good circumstances or bad circumstances, as long as everybody knows that this is about Christ, Paul says, I rejoice because Jesus is worth it. I wanted to share this article with you in closing. Been a lot of talk over the last couple months about Iran. Here's a story about Iran that you haven't heard of. Persecution has threatened to wipe out Iran's tiny church. Instead, the church in Iran has become the fastest growing in the world, and it is influencing the region for Christ. The Iranian revolution in 1979 established a hardline Islamic regime. After the ne- over the next two decades, Christian faced it, Christians faced increasing opposition and persecution. All missionaries were kicked out of Iran. Evangelism was outlawed in Iran. Bibles in Persian were banned and soon became scarce, and several pastors were killed. The church came under tremendous pressure. Many feared the small Iranian church would soon wither and die. But the exact opposite happened. Despite continued hostility from the late 1970s until now, Iranians have become the Muslim people most open to the gospel in the Middle East. How did this happen? Two factors have contributed to this openness. First, violence in the name of Islam is called widespread disillusionment with the regime and led many Iranians to question their beliefs. And secondly, many Iranian Christians have continued to boldly and faithfully tell others about Christ. Everybody hear that? Many Iranian Christians have continued to boldly and faithfully tell others about Christ in the face of persecution. As a result, listen to this, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries put together, 1,300 years since Islam came to Iran. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands. Some say there are over 1 million Christians in Iran. Whatever the exact number, many Iranians are turning to Jesus as Lord and Savior. In fact, Operation World, one of the best organizations that there is on mission research, says that Iran, listen to this, has the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. What has happened to them has actually served to advance the gospel. By God's grace, may it be that what happens to us would be used to serve to advance the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Paul's joy in prison. Thank you for his letter. 
Thank you, God, that we know where confidence comes from. Confidence comes from seeing somebody before us going through a hard time that models faith. God, I pray that here today at First Baptist Fairdale, there'd be a lot of confidence passed out by you and your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that here today you would give confidence to the believers. God, we pray that you would use our lives to advance the gospel. Father, thank you for the book of Philippians and how you're teaching our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.